Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Daniel, if you can put the first slide up, please. <clears throat> this is a little bit of history. Um, going back, this is a fairly well-known ship. If you, I, I didn't know much about it, but it is fairly well-known in the world. It's over 400 years old, or al almost 400 years old. It's on display the museum in Stockholm. It's called Vasa. In the early 1600s, King Gustav II, at that time, was the king of Sweden. And Sweden, little known historical fact, but was the leading nation in that part of the world for quite some time. And king was responsible for the king was before him, and he was responsible for some of that expansion, some stability in the area. And as part of that, he commissioned several ships to be built. Um, Sweden already had a number of ships. Because of the battles that they were in, some had uh, been sunk. Some were just sunk due to bad weather. And so he asked for some more ships to be built. This is one of them. It's called the Vasa. It was started in 1628, and uh, it was made out of oak. Oak is a very hard wood, but it's a little bit, but it's, it has some flexibility, and it was so valuable in that time of the world. It was actually a fine for anyone cutting it down without the permission of the government or the king at that time. In fact, some people were imprisoned for it. Oak was very valuable. This ship used over 1,000 trees in its, in its making. This ship was made to carry about 450 people. Just by way of a little illustration, I think we can... I'm just using some, some figures. A tree, an oak tree, they grow pretty big. I didn't say the mast, the tallest mast was 54.3 something metres tall, almost 55 metres tall. So if we just say that the average tree was 25 metres long, which happens to be about from this wall all the way to the fence on the outside, the width of this block. And the length of this block is about 50 metres long. But if we assume that uh, one tree was 25 metres long, some may have been longer, some might have been shorter, some were used for the frame, some were used for the cladding. And if we look at those chairs that we're sitting on, they're about 50 centimetres wide. 50 centimetres wide, 1,000 logs is 500 metres. We've got 50 metres here. So if they were to be stacked up, there's a post at the back, if you look around, <clears throat> that yellow stick, that's 3.6 metres high. So the top of the roof is maybe five, maybe a little bit less. So if we go from the 50, that basically what I'm trying to say is there was wood from the front to the back that high to make one of these ships, and that wood was valuable. During the time that this ship was being built, um, another ship had sunk due to bad weather. So the king had asked for the ship to be hurried up in its construction. The king had sent instructions to the shipyard to extend the ship to make it bigger. The ship was already under construction, already had the, the sides up. So the, the reply went back to the king saying that the ship's already under construction. The king requested and required that the ship be made bigger. So the only thing that could be done was for the ship to be made a little bit longer. And construction continued on 
for another three years approximately. The ship was added with an inordinate amount. Daniel, can you go to the next slide, please? And actually, just go back to the previous one. You can look up all this. It's about 10, 12-minute video on YouTube if you're interested. Bring up the next slide, please. <coughs> that is the ship in its museum. All along the side was, I think, half of the cost of the ship was made in decorations or ornaments that were painted and left on the side. Those holes along the bottom there were 64 cannons. It was the largest concentration of cannons at any one on a ship at that time anywhere in the world. It was going to be the most powerful ship with the most amount of ornament, uh, armament that it could have. There were three decks to it. Next slide, please, Daniel. Uh, there's the cannons, 64 bronze cannons on three different levels. Next slide. Oh, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, that's in the, the very front of it. It's probably very hard to see. If I, <coughs> if I point out this, this museum, there's people on here. Those people are on level three. This is the front of the ship. This lion here is a mascot for the Swedes back at that time. It's about apparently about four meters long and weighed about 400 kilos. And there's people over here. So it's, it's a pretty decent ship. Okay, I think you can, you can blank that out, Daniel. Um, there were tests being made while the ship was under construction uh, just to check its stability. And they had 30 men run from one side of the ship to the other side of the ship. Uh, and after a run of, I think, three or four times, uh, they stopped it because they weren't sure uh, how the ship was going to respond. The construction continued until late in August 2008. Uh, 1628 when the ship was put to sail the ship was put to sail great fanfare king wasn't there king was away in another country uh, but he had commissioned it for it to happen this was the first of four ships there were visitors and dignitaries from other countries uh, some of them probably military spies looking what the king's got up his sleeve so they know how they can respond to it at the time and the ship took sail with about 150 sailors on it, uh, fairly lightly laden. It was going to another port where it was going to be weighed down at its hull so it have more stability and pick up more passengers, and then it was going to go on its um, maiden voyage. It went um, about 1.3 kilometres down the coast from Stockholm in the area, there was a gust of wind that picked up the main sail and the sail and started to lean over. The ship righted itself. Another gust of wind came and the ship went all the way over and sank to the bottom of the ocean, which was only about 30 metres deep. So the mast stuck out for about 50 years until eventually it broke and actually people forgot all about the ship. It was picked up some time ago put into the museum and there's over a million people a year that go and visit that ship about 30 million people that have seen that boat it's fairly famous when the ship went over within two weeks the king sent out a, fu a, a furious letter that uh, heads would roll so to speak that people would be punished and an inquiry started only a month later at the end of that inquiry it was found, uh, no one was found guilty. Over the course of the inquiry, it was found that the shipbuilder followed the king's instructions exactly. It was found that tests were done and that the sailors were not drunk, that the ship wasn't overly laden, but that the ship probably wasn't stable. It wasn't built for that that size boat, which was lengthened, which was hurried up, it wasn't built to be stable and went over and it didn't last not even one nautical mile. <clears throat> that is, I guess, a lack of understanding of what stability is. And there's a lot of lessons in that and we could go into it in a lot of detail. But all I'm, I would like to say out of all that is that all that effort 
all that valuable wood, all that... That was an expensive ship. That was an embarrassment to the, to the king. Um, <clears throat> no one could be found guilty. I guess it doesn't matter. The, the point is the boat, the ship, wasn't stable. Daniel, can you put up the next slide, please? We're talking about stability. I think it's fairly subconscious to us if we look at the most basic basic stability. We know if I'm just stability of movement or motion, if I stand here like this, I'm, I'm okay. But I think we know, I don't have to say very much, that I'm a bit more stable when I'm like this because there's a bit more distance between my feet. And in fact, if I bend my knees a little bit, <clears throat> I become a bit more stable. And I don't really even have to think about it, it just happens. And in fact, um, because I'm on this surface, if I had ice skates or rollerblades, we know that I wouldn't be as stable. And then there's other things that could come into it we don't have to really think about those things. Those things just happen. That Those things give us stability. There are lots of examples, any part of life, that, are, that we can look at stability and the different factors. We can look at detail, what it takes to be stable. We know that gymnasts can do things which we wouldn't normally do. We would say they're not very stable. But there are these other factors such as strength and subtlety, subtlety and agility that help to them to be stable with motion because they move. They wouldn't be able to do otherwise. There are seesaws. We know they move up and down and they're stable when the weight is even on both sides. If we look at the, the image of that world, just another example, there's ecological or environmental stability or weather patterns or meteorological stability. And there are various factors which contribute to the stability of water currents and air currents and uh, pollution traveling from place to place and um, all kinds of other things. Uh, we know an ice skater, if he has the right stability, if we, would, if we just saw this on its own, we'd say this person's about to fall over. But because, whoops, I must have just pressed something wrong. Sorry, can you have a look at that? Oh, there it is. Thank you. <coughs> That's it. Because we see these lines behind the person, we know that person's in movement. And when they're moving, they've got their forward, their, their center of gravity is forward. Normally they'd fall, but they won't because the motion's there. That person's actually reasonably stable. In fact, needs to have that kind of posture to be able to move forward. There are, there's electronic braking stability. There's uh, mechanical stability, architectural stability, mechanical stability. There's um, aerodynamic, social stability, economic stability, financial stability, genetic, chemical there's stability in relationships and there's contributing factors to those. There are emotion, there's emotional stability and there are various factors that play into emotional stability. We know... Can you put the next one up, please, Daniel? Or we know. Definitions up there. Stability, what is it? Stability, something that is steady and is not changing. Stability is something that is not being disturbed in any way. It is being firm, not anxious. Stability is constant, grounded, not phased, unperturbed. Can you put the next one up, please, Daniel? You might have to press it again. Uh-huh. Our lives bring ups and downs. Our lives bring crosswinds and situations that seek to take us out of that stability zone. Sometimes 
we actually need to think about the various factors that contribute to stability when the crosswinds come. But the stabilizing forces are a part of life. In fact, without that wind, that ship wouldn't sail. That same thing that tipped the ship over, even at a small level, which caused its demise, is what gives the ship mobility and motion. The stabilizing forces are a part of life. And we have breakfast. We set the place up so we can look outside the tree. I like looking at trees. And uh, I often look at, I can tell which way the wind's blowing in the morning. It's either coming from the west or coming from the east. What amazes me, I've thought about this often, and I think think it's amazing. Perth is, or WA, is a relatively windy place. If you look up the windiest places in the world, WA is not the windiest, but it's, it's, it's up there with the windy places. Leaves grow on trees even when there's wind. They grow from a little bud to a leaf and they hang on all their life until it's time to go. And they grow, even though it's constantly pointing this way or that way. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not windy, but they are stable in their walk or in their attachment, in their growth, even with the wind. That, that wind that was providing a disaster for the ship could have provided propulsion and movement. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There are actually lots of verses and, in fact, sections of verses taken together that talk about spiritual stability in God's Word. There's this short verse. There are a whole range of them, and I'm not going to go through detail because that's not what this is about. Philippians, Timothy, all the way from actually uh, Deuteronomy, all the way to through to Revelation. And there are individuals that we can look at their lives how they respond to the stabilizing forces that come their way. One such example, and we could pick several, study several of them, is Moses. And of those, we can pick just a few. I'm going to, not going to get you to look it up, but I'm going to read these things. You know some of these things, and I will outline them briefly. But Moses is called by God in this burning bush. It comes to Egypt. And he comes with his brother Aaron. And he gets told to go to talk to Pharaoh to let this people called Israel go from the slavery. And when Moses... So we're going to look at the response that Moses has to these forces. Maybe I should have said, all these things happen, There's a, we can react or we can respond. There's a difference between those two things. When there's a reaction, it's, it's um, I guess we could say emotional, and there's nothing wrong with emotions. In fact, we need to have them, and we need to have them in balance. But when there's a reaction, we know that there is something that is not quite right, as opposed to a response which just pauses that reaction for a moment and then kicks in with something else and goes, right, I need to respond to this this way, as opposed to just react. And that's across the board, whatever area of stability that we're looking at. So Pharaoh says to Moses... And to Aaron, in Exodus chapter six, verse five, verse seventeen. But he said, 
You are idle, you are idle. Therefore you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall be no straw given to you, yet you shall deliver the tale, the number of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case, after it was said, you shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savour to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord. Moses didn't react. Moses responded. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so ill-treated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done evil to his people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now thou shalt see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this of his land. Okay, <clears throat> we know that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. And he told him to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh these things. In fact, he told him to take Aaron with him. And he said, I'm, this same mountain where you are now, you will come to this place again to worship me. So Moses had that instruction. But Moses said this to the elders of Israel. This wasn't, he didn't keep this to himself. He went to all the elders of Israel. He told them this, and they were excited about that. So they knew as much as he did. Word of God tells us, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and rid you of their bondage. Moses responded, and God reaffirmed, I will take these people out with a strong hand and will be taken out to the promised land which I've told you about. A number of events happened. I'm not going to go through in great detail. I'm just going to hit three or four different things. Quickly, skimming through, after this, there were ten plagues that came to the Egyptians. Not one of them affected them, the Israelites. And there was between two and three million of them. Israel wasn't affected. Eventually, before too long, they did exit out of Egypt. They had that experience. God kept them with a cloud. Uh, it's a desert sort of area. God guided them with the cloud. God protected them, maybe from the sunshine, from the cloud, from the, from the sun. God kept them with the fire at night, provided light, provided direction. God gave them promises, miracles. They went through this. We look at the next account where people come to Moses. We read in Exodus 14, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, when the Israelis were sort of trapped between the Red Sea and the mountains behind them, and Pharaoh coming behind with his armies, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us thus? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we can serve the Egyptians? Hadn't it been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness? And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. 
The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. If we back up a little bit, God says to Moses, who said to the people, Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before the place where you are trapped. They were heading a different way and God turned them around and said to Moses to say to the people, so they all knew this, they were going to a place where they were trapped. But God said to Moses, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he will follow after you, after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Moses knew it. And that message was passed down to everybody else. So when Pharaoh was coming behind them, they should have known all the same thing, at least those who were able to understand. And so when they came to Moses, Moses said, Fear not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. I don't know how he's going to do it. But God said that he will... What did he say? He said that I will harden Pharaoh's heart I will be honored, and you will see them no more. I don't understand what that means. I'm trapped, but I will see them no more. Moses' response, Moses' response was to go back to what God said. Moses did not react to the situation. He acknowledged the situation, didn't walk away from it. He didn't ignore it. He observed it, but... He went back to what God said. After this, we know, the Lord opened up the sea. They marched through it. Pharaoh and his armies followed. They were sunk and they saw them no more. <clears throat> they went to the other side. They were in a desert. Didn't have much to drink. They drank some water and they were starting to get sick. God told Moses, throw in this tree. Water became good. 600,000 men, 2 to 3 million people, they all had water to drink. God had dealt with them. God provided for them. He rescued them. He gave them good water to drink. God provided for them manna. God provided for them quail. Next time we'll look at an example. Is in a little bit later. And this is another event when there's no water to drink. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses argue with him, send messages to him and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you chide with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? What was Moses' response? Moses' response didn't dismiss the need for water. Didn't say, forget about it. But he says, why are you coming to me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, and our children and our cattle with thirst? And look what Moses did. Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They'd be most ready to stone me. When I read that, I thought, Someone came to me like that. I'd be looking at ways to get water, probably. But Moses went to the Lord. He didn't ask for water. Please, doesn't say so here. He says, What shall I do unto these people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. It's almost like, What's it to do with me? I think if we look at that beat here, Why do you chide with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? 
Don't you know that you've had quail, manna, been delivered, plagues, water, uh, Pharaoh, I've provided for you, and you were trapped, and this is trapped? Believe me. God provided water for them. They fought Amalek, which was an army. Well, one of the one of the the things that uh, God led them, God kept Egypt, uh, kept um, Israel out of the way of armies. They didn't have a war throughout their journeyings, except for this one here, until they came to Canaan or, or and and fought for Battle of Jericho. This was the only war that's recorded, or only battle that was recorded. And Lord led them to that battle. And we know that from that point on, God was called Jehovah Nissi. That is, God is my banner. That means that I go in front of you, and, and you are under me. And if you're behind me, uh, then I'm, if I'm leading the way, then you will get through it. And they did. Not long after this, they came to that mountain. And all those things that we read about, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, and the construction, and all the detail of that, and all the instruments, and all the cloths, and instructions about priesthood, laws for life, laws for health, laws for society, sacrifices, holiness, all those things helped to shape them. They became, they had an identity. They became a nation. They became, they had purpose. Those things didn't happen overnight. Those things took place over a period of almost 12 months. <clears throat> God provided food, water, clothes, protected, led, and guided them. I'm going to read again a little bit later. I think I've got the references here slightly out of sync. We read a longer section now. Oh, Daniel, can you bring up? Can you just bring up? Okay, I'll just pause you for a moment. There are crosswinds. There are situations. There are circumstances where we look like we haven't got the resources, we haven't got the time, we haven't got the strength, we haven't got the money, we haven't got the stability, we haven't got the emotional energy, we haven't got the relationships. We don't have it. We need to have a mechanism to have spiritual stability. Can you flick the next one, please, Daniel? Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Next one, please. You might recognize this. Just re refreshing. This is a Sunday. This is from a Sunday school book. I like Sunday school books. They, they pictures worth a lot to me. <coughs> They're the Israelis coming to Moses after Pharaoh and his servants have spoken to them. We're not happy with you, Moses. Next one. There's Moses, the Red Sea, stable, looking forward, not knowing how, but God said he's going to do it. And there's the people. Next one, please, Daniel. And this is, <clears throat> this is coming to the, to the key reason I think, what the, what the core issue is. We read in Numbers chapter 14, and this is slightly longer, or chapter 13, they come after 12 months of being in the desert, of being at Mount Horeb, or at the base of it, of having seen people who stood against the things they were taught to be swallowed up, in the earth and fall down alive. They have seen fire to consume some of them. They have heard about holiness. They have seen miracles. They have, and not overnight. And 
God established priests. And every time they moved, the Levites, and there was something like 22,000 of them, were to pick up the oil for the tabernacle. They were to pick up the posts for the tabernacle. They were to pick up the clasps for the tabernacle. They're, being re- they're carrying this stuff. They're being reminded, God has done this for us. They're carrying this stuff in their hands. God has done this for us. And they're coming to the end of their journey, about to go into the Canaan, where God, that land that God had promised them. And Moses sends out 12 spies, one from each tribe, for 40 days. Two of them are Joshua and Caleb. They come back. I don't know how well you can see that. It's probably a little bit exaggerated. There's a big guy in Canaan. And there's the 12 spies hidden over here going, whoops, this guy's pretty big. And they come back. And they say, and and we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that God had, that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Wouldn't it be better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let's make us a captain and let us return to Egypt. Moses' response. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Keep reading. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthunah, which were one of them that searched the land, rent his clothes. And they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the, Lord, the people of the land. For they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade, stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the reason why they got into strife is right here. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will these people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them the thing that Moses knew when they came to him every time when a situation came every time it wasn't the coming to me Lord don't they know who you are haven't they seen haven't they experienced are they not carrying all this stuff of the tabernacle in their hands are they not reminded of everything that you've done do they not See the leprosy that was healed, the cleansing that takes place, the sacrifices that take place, your holiness. Do they not see the most, your face? They were scared to look at you because I was with you. Do they not know that I am God? Can you bring up that verse, please, Daniel? I think some verses are worth bringing up in another version. This one here is a slightly different version of the same thing. Helps you understand, I think, in my mind, the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Here we have. Will these people provoke me? Contempt. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Contempt doesn't sound so bad. Contempt for court, people do it, they get out of court, they get thrown in jail. It's not a big deal. Contempt means not worthy of respect. Not worthy to be noticed. Not of any concern. A willful disobedience. 
I am God. I sent you, I sent those signs back in Egypt. I kept all of them. I am somebody. I am, I am God. You saw throughout. I spoke to you, Moses. You spoke to them. Moses didn't get phased. Moses didn't get blown. Moses acknowledged. Moses didn't suppress. We suppress things. They'll come out. And they'll come out with a reaction. Moses didn't react. He responded. He went back. This is what God said. I believe God. I will trust in him. I will allow him. It looks hopeless. There's no water. There's no food. There's people who are sinning. There's people who are not paying attention. I can't, I can't physically see the way, but I don't need to physically see the way. I don't need to see it. I have a stability in knowing who you are. I have a stability in knowing that you are God, the one that spoke to me on that mount, who brought me back to this mount, and who said, these nation of Israel wasn't an Israel when they went to Egypt. They were just a family of Jacob. They became a nation. And God said, I will bless this nation. I will give them this land. God said that to them. They had a year of signs and miracles which are amazing to look through. And yet, God says, I am not worthy of their respect. I'm not, they do not give me notice. They, I'm of no concern. This is willful disobedience. The foundation of stability Spiritual stability is the opposite of that, is knowing that he is God and that he will do it. Moses observed. He saw it all. He went through it. He acknowledged it, didn't ignore it. But he wasn't overwhelmed. Those things which came as a crosswind, those things which came as a distraction, those things that came where... He didn't have the strength. Actually allowed the nation to be allow them to become the nation and to go where they were supposed to go. Moses responded, didn't react. He didn't look at the destabilizing force, whatever it was. But he looked to the author. He looked to the promise. They were real waves, they were real disturbances. But God is the creator. God is the one that promised. God is the one that said. God had a plan. Moses spoke to God. Israel didn't understand God. They didn't take God at his word. They didn't look back through all that stuff that happened over a short period of time. To all of them, they saw that. And they didn't see what God led them through. That was the difference. Can you put the next one up, please, Daniel? Israel's fundamental shortcoming, they didn't treat God as God. They went to Moses, every one of them. They were set up with tribes. The priests had 12 stones in here to remind them of God's promises. They were carrying the tabernacle. When they came, when the spies came back, they were ready to stone Moses, find a captain, and go back to Egypt. Moses looked to God. Regardless of what happened, what destabilizing force came his way, Moses looked to God. Next one, please, Daniel. Don't think you're getting picked on. Because you're going through a bit of a situation. I'm not making light of any situation. Real situations. They are real situations. Of a crosswind in your life. That's part of life. Respond. Don't react. 
There's a whole lot of verses. I'm just going to go through a few in closing. Thanks, Daniel. Ooh, where's the next one? After that, there should be another one. Stability for the believer is based on God's unchanging nature. Sometimes these things which come naturally, we kind of, when it comes to a spiritual life, we have to kind of get them in our head a little bit. All the songs we sang this evening. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32.4 Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Thanks, Daniel. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto a, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The stability of the believer is based on God's unchanging nature. He's the rock in the Old Testament. He's the rock in the New Testament. Next one, please, Daniel. Stability provides resistance to spiritual attack. In the body of his... Oh, this one. I'll start reading with verse 2 because it makes more sense when you read that and then you go back up to the other one. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, and a bit above it, to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. You haven't moved. You've been stable. Those forces that have come, and they need to come. Those forces need to come. We can't always be happy. We can't always be angry either. We, there's, you know, basic emotions come down to uh, happiness, sadness, surprise, fear, anger, disgust. That's what. And everything else is a mix of those things. We need to acknowledge those things. Moses didn't dismiss them, but he responded and over them. Yes, I am afraid. I don't know the way. God, this is what you said. I'm grounded in you, and then I'll be presented holy, unblameable, unreprovable in your sight. Next one, please, Daniel. Stability depends on firmness of faith. How firm are we? For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And the last one, please. Stability is important in our lives, in our Christian spiritual life, that we be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We can look at many, many more verses about stability of all types that will help us in our Christian walk with Him. The God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament, God at the time of Moses, like Sister Katerina said, don't know how long ago, but it was more than 2,000. And the God of today is the same. We may not have God speak to us like he did to Moses on the burning bush. But we all have, we are here because we have an experience with him. We have an experience and we have seen things in our lives to this point enough to remind us that God is God. That when winds come, that when issues come I can't see the answer you're not supposed to that's why that's what makes him God 
And when Moses, that, the core of it was, that whole time, those people did not recognize God is God. And that's what grieved God the most. That's why he wanted to wipe them out. God was so angry because I'm, I'm God. I, I'm the king that knows those measurements and I will get them right, unlike the other one. I have put you into this situation because that's just part of life. And you may die and you may not carry on, but that's that the important bit is you were faithful to me. If we look back through history, how many people were hunted, killed, publicly, humiliated, in terrible ways, not having fraction of the experience that we have today because of God's Spirit in our lives. Although these are words, and I hope these words have touched you, more than that, I want God's Spirit to encourage us and to give us life and to recognize that He is God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can you put the last one up, please, Daniel? Trust leads to stability. We trust in Him. We submit to Him. There are lots of different things we can talk about that give us stability. Just as this is natural, I don't think we have to go through a whole lot. We come to church and we hear it through preaching. We can go through some of those things. But you know, in there, in there, what those things are that will give you stability. Search those things out. Put those other things away. And when difficulties come, don't look at the difficulties. If we are serving the Lord, if we are living for Him, He will let us go through that. Praise the Lord.